0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew.
1: When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Now, we talked about this earlier when we talked about, you know, Judas is somewhat of a complex guy. He is filled with remorse, but not repentance. And there's a big difference. You can feel sorry about something you've done, but it doesn't really mean that you change unless you repent.
0: There are many different reasons why someone would feel sorry about something that they did. They might feel sorry for hurting someone else, or for the end results of their actions, or maybe just the fact that they were caught. But as you'll be reminded from Pastor Gary in today's message, if you continue to do the wrong things that you are doing, your life won't change until you repent of your sins, turn away from them, and start living differently. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 27, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: Matthew, chapter 27, is where we are this evening. Again, I'm going to do my best to get through both chapters. Some of this is pretty much a straight read anyway, because um, you'll notice here that these chapters detail the closing uh, hours of Jesus' life here on earth before he is uh, crucified. And then Matthew will also spend uh, his last chapter talking briefly about the resurrection. So Matthew doesn't spend an incredible amount of time in the details uh, of his crucifixion uh, or of his resurrection in particular, that is comparatively speaking, uh, Luke and John give us more details uh, surrounding those events. But Matthew is going to give us clearly a, um, a, an overview for sure. And uh, so as we take a look here, starting in chapter 27, here's, here's where we have left off up to this point. J- Jesus has been arrested. He has been brought before the Jewish ruling council. He has been beaten there, mistreated, falsely accused. They trump up charges. The Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, has violated their own rules Of order. They have convicted a man on the same day that he was charged. That was against their own law. Uh, They have convicted a man without substantial witnesses of two or more. A couple of false witnesses came forward. And so they have rushed to judgment. They have been on this path for a long time to just simply rid the earth of Jesus. They are threatened by his ministry. They are threatened by who he is. They don't, by and large, the Sanhedrin does not believe in Jesus as Messiah, with the exception probably of two. Luke's Gospel tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a part of the Sanhedrin, dissented in his vote against Jesus. And Nicodemus also, because of his encounter with Jesus in John chapter 3, his born again experience. We see him appearing later at the burial of Jesus, uh, John's gospel tells us. So with the exception of those two, the Sanhedrin rushed to judgment, did not believe Jesus was Messiah, and, uh, and they want him dead. Problem is that uh, about 10 years before this time, the Roman government had confiscated from the Jews their ability to impose capital punishment according to their own Mosaic law. So in order to have Jesus killed, they had to go through Pontius Pilate. They had to go through the proper channels of the Roman government and and then make these accusations against Jesus with hopes then that Pontius Pilate would sentence him to death, which is what's going to happen. Now bear in mind here that Isaiah says it was the Lord's will, all capital L-O-R-D, which is the proper name of God. It was Yahweh's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. Isaiah prophesies several hundred years, 700 years or so before Christ, that part of what is going to happen is Messiah will be killed but it is not because the romans killed him and it's not because the jews killed him it's because we all killed him and it was the will of the father that jesus should die and suffer for the sins of the world so don't think that this is just the scene where the romans get the upper hand not at all or the jews get the upper hand not at all jesus and the father god the father is supremely in charge This is all part of God's sovereign will that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. No one is doing this to Jesus. Jesus is allowing this to be done unto himself for the sake of the whole world. It was love that compelled him to the cross and obedience to the Father. And so as we see this unfolding here, this is not uh, a scene of the weakness of Jesus, which many of his followers interpreted that way. Thus, all his disciples abandoned him and fled. And the very people who were shouting Hosanna when he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday are now shouting crucify him because they see him at a weak place. This is not weakness at all. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who has humbly submitted him to the will of the Father and for the love of the world will lay down his life. But he could take it up in a moment if it was his will, but he always deferred to the will of the Father. And we talked about this in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said... Father, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Let the cup of suffering pass from me. But nevertheless, thy will be done. Not my will. If there's any other way to accomplish salvation for the sins of the world that I don't have to experience suffering, I wish it could be. But nevertheless, your will be done. And we see God's will unfolding here and the submission of the Lamb of God uh, unto death uh, for the sins of the world because of his love for us. So, That's where it picks up here in chapter 27. They're going to now hand him off, the Sanhedrin, hand Jesus off to Pontius Pilate because they got to go through the Roman channels to get him crucified. So chapter 27, verse 1 says, Early in the morning, and this is now about 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning because the rooster has just crowed at the end of chapter 26 typically around sunrise, 5 a.m. or so. So now that this is early in the morning, 5 or 6 o'clock in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. Now, this is Pontius Pilate. He is a Roman official. He has been assigned the territory of Judea, which is part of the Roman province. At this time, Israel is under the territory of the Roman government. And he has been assigned there by the emperor to rule over this province, over this area. Now, interestingly, uh, skeptics years ago thought that this is part of the reason why the Bible is just a bunch of fables and myths. Because except for a few references in in history um, by guys like Josephus and uh, Philo of Alexandria and Tacitus, Pontius Pilate has not been mentioned in any chronicles of history. And a lot of skeptics would look and say, there wasn't even a real guy named Pontius Pilate. And so that's part of the reason why skeptics say, you know, the Bible is a bunch of bunk. And then, lo and behold, 1961, this tablet was discovered in Caesarea uh, Maritima, which is Caesarea by the sea, there by the Mediterranean. In 1961, discovered by an Italian archaeologist by the name of Dr. Antonio Frova, Abundanza. And uh, he uh, discovers this uh, this uh, limestone uh, rock, and within the limestone was engraved letters in Latin that read, Dis Augustus Tiberium Pontius Pilatus Praefectus Iduia. And in translation, it means to Tiberius Caesar Augustus Pontius Pilate prefect of Judea, that this was a dedication stone where uh, Pontius Pilate had dedicated a portion of the city, a particular building, to his good friend, Tiberius Augustus, who was Caesar at the time, and so this inscription was found on this rock, 1961, that validated there was a real guy named Pontius Pilate prefect, or governor of Judea. This stone today is in the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem. And uh, so once again, finally, archaeology and science catches up to the Bible. Uh, But uh, he was a real guy. Eusebius, the historian, uh, tells us that uh, Eusebius was a Roman historian who lived in the late 260 to 300 A.D. He tells us that Pontius Pilate was a kind of a bloodthirsty guy, and as a result, he had been warned by Rome many times, don't go killing anybody or you'll be recalled to Rome. He killed just far too many people. So you're going to see part of his reluctance here to have Jesus crucified is because he knows he's going to get recalled to Rome if he ends up having somebody else killed unnecessarily. And, uh, and so Eusebius tells us that after Jesus crucified, in fact, Pontius Pilate does get recalled to Rome, and then he gets banished to Gaul where he commits suicide. Now, we don't know that to be completely true, but that's what one historian wrote, Eusebius, uh, around the 3rd century AD. And so this is that Pontius Pilate. So they're taking Jesus to Pilate. They lead him away. And it says in verse 3 that when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said. For I have betrayed innocent blood. Now, we've, we talked about this earlier when we talked about, you know, Judas is somewhat of a complex guy. He is filled with remorse, but not repentance. And there's a big difference. You can feel sorry about something you've done, but it doesn't really mean that you change unless you repent. There's a lot of people who feel sorry for a variety of reasons. They feel sorry because of the results. They feel sorry because they were caught. They feel sorry because of the consequences. But that does not necessarily mean that they are repentant. And so in Judas's case this is a guy who's remorseful but he's not repentant. He returns the 30 pieces of silver and notice it says in verse continuing there in verse 4 what is that to us they replied that's your responsibility. King James says that's your problem. And so Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said it is against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money isn't that that's just the most hypocritical thing the chief priests are all concerned about how to take the blood money back that they gave judas in the first place they weren't concerned about giving him blood money that he would then betray jesus for 30 pieces of silver but now they're all concerned about the proper way that they should use it now that he's given it back this is just the most hypocritical statement that you could read here And so, verse 7, they they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And that is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Now, uh, you can write in the margin of your Bible Acts 1, 18 to 19. Acts 1, 18 to 19. In Acts 1, it records the, the death, the suicide of Judas. And it talks about how he plunged headlong into a field "...giving the idea that he kind of off of the side of a cliff or something falls headlong and it talks about in Acts 1, I know this is kind of a gruesome description, but it talks about how his uh, bowels burst open and they called that field al-kaldema, which in Aramaic means field of blood, so it gets that name from two different angles." Because the chief priests are going to use this as blood money to buy, buy basically a cemetery where they will bear, bury foreigners. So that's, it's called the field of blood. But Acts 1 tells us in 18 and 19 that it's because Judas dies there, spills his guts open, and they call it al field of blood, because of his death. Now how do you reconcile that he was hanged and yet Acts says he plunged headlong and his bowels burst open? Take them together That's the way you answer it. You take them together. Judas either hanged himself, and then as a result, sorry to get a little too graphic, but as a result of his body decomposing, he slips through the noose, and then his body bursts open, or he just doesn't know how to tie a noose very well. That's the other option, and he gets himself in a noose, and then, whoops, it slips, and he falls headlong. I don't really care how it happened. He's dead. That's the way it went down, and they named a field, Alcadema because it means field of blood. Now, another apparent contradiction here is verse 8. Because it says, That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Verse 9, Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And then Matthew quotes here, They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now notice he is quoting there, and he's actually quoting Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13. And again, this is where skeptics read this, and they say, well, he says it's Jeremiah, but actually it's a a typo because he's really quoting from Zechariah. Here's the answer to this. The Jewish Old Testament, the scriptures that we call our Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, were divided basically into three major scriptures scrolls. One scroll was called the Law, one scroll was called the Prophets, and one scroll was called the Psalms. The scroll that was called the Prophets contained all the major and minor prophets, including Zechariah, including Jeremiah. But that, that scroll that was called the Scroll of the Prophets was named Jeremiah, the Scroll of Jeremiah, because he was the major prophet And so Matthew is right when he's quoting from the scroll of Jeremiah, even though it's technically the words of Zechariah. Let me tell you how this works with you and me. You're trying to quote a scripture verse, and your favorite one, because you can remember this one, Jesus wept, right? (laughs) But you don't really know what's that verse. And so you end up saying, according to the gospel of John, and if you're really stumped because you don't know it's gospel of John, you say, in the gospels. And if you really don't know even that, you say, in the New Testament, okay? And you just use broad language to define one little verse. And that's what Matthew is doing here. He's using a broader language because he couldn't remember. Is that Zechariah? Is it Malachi? Who said that? I'm just going to say it's Jeremiah because it's the whole scroll of Jeremiah, so he's, he's right either way. And so he quotes here about how this is a fulfillment. Zechariah said this in advance hundreds of years, that the money that was used would be returned and uh, a field would be bought, the potter's field. Well, verse 11 says, Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, this is Pontius Pilate, and the governor asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. And when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. This reminds me of James 1.19. James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Jesus was not quick to answer. He was slow to speak. And uh, when when he replies to Pontius Pilate, he just simply says, yes, it is as you say, but he makes no reply to the chief priests and the elders who were falsely accusing him. Verse 15, now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Now, he's, he's, he's not going to find sufficient charge to condemn Jesus to death. So he's going, Pontius Pilate is going to try to appease the people, the Jews, who are crying for his crucifixion by relying on this custom. And the custom is, around the Passover feast, we'll release a prisoner to you. And, and, and so who do you want to be released? I'll give you one. Do you want Barabbas, or do you want Jesus called the Christ? Now, Christ is a Greek word, Christos, that just simply translates the anointed one. The same word as Mashiach in the Hebrew. Messiah and Christ are the same words, Hebrew and Greek. Jesus is the Christ. Pontius Pilate, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? Now, this is fascinating, because when you think about the breakdown of the language, Barabbas in Hebrew is a combination of two words, Bar Abba. Bar means son. Abba means father. And not the most original name, but he's called basically son of the father. Barabbas, that's what his name means. He's born and like uh, dad looks at mom and says, what should we name him? I don't know, honey, what do you want to call him? Let's just call him my son. So son of the father, that's what his name is. Barabbas, Barabba. But you know, this is fascinating. Think about this. You have Barabbas, whose name means son of the father, And you have Jesus, who is the Son of the Father. Which Son of the Father do you want? And the crowd says, we want Barabbas. So verse 19 says, that while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, this is interesting, only Matthew's Gospel records this, his wife sent him this message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Notice that. Now, Pilate does not heed his wife's advice here. But again, as you kind of recognize that this whole thing is a plan unfolding and that God is behind this, that uh, it doesn't surprise us that he wouldn't take his wife's um, advice at this moment. But at least she has insight into his true innocence and she tries to persuade her husband, don't have anything to do with this guy. Verse 20 But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Notice how you can just get this sense. like He, he doesn't want to do this you know, he's thinking in the back of his mind, Rome's going to recall me. My wife tells me this is not a good thing to do. The crowd is going to riot. I don't know what to do. I'm torn here. And he appeases the crowd, washes his hands, says, I'm innocent of, of the blood of this man. And verse 25, all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. And then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Warren Weersby. Uh, I think, articulated it well when he talked about the human failure surrounding Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion. Note, Judas yielded to Satan. Peter yielded to his flesh. Pilate yielded to the world. Judas yielded to Satan. Peter gave into his own flesh when he denied knowing Jesus three times, I don't even know him, and he lies, calls down curses on his head. And then Pontius Pilate yields to the world. He submits to the crowd and does what the world wants. These three things are always in concert against us. Satan, our own flesh, and the world. We have to constantly be on guard against these very forces that work in concert against us. Our own flesh at times is going to rise up to lead us into sin and temptation. Satan, of course, is always and demonic principalities. That's why Paul writes in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, because Satan and demonic forces are always trying to work against us and the world. The world and the things of the world and the love of the world and, and all that the world embodies, those things are always going to be working against us. So we see it happening here in this very story, Satan, the flesh, and the world working against uh, Jesus. And um, take note, those same things are at work against us. It says here that uh, in verse 26 that Pontius Pilate had Jesus flogged. Matthew does not give the description. Uh, if you are interested, you can read a very descriptive account Uh, that was published in 1986 in the Journal of the American Medical Association by a medical doctor by the name of Dr. W.D. Edwards. Dr. W.D. Edwards, 1986, published in JAMA, the Journal for the American Medical Association, entitled The Physical Death of Jesus Christ. And a medical doctor writes about the description concerning crucifixion and what Jesus would have gone through. Uh, It is probably best... And as far as the graphic detail, that we only read Jesus was flogged.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough you can come to him no matter what your past looks like would you like someone to pray with you or do you have some more questions we'd love to talk to you please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net that's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net we'd love to meet you too you're invited to join us this weekend at cornerstone chapel in leesburg we're meeting in person as well as online And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series of Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.